0: Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church is a new church plant in Tucson, Arizona. We welcome you to join us every Sunday morning at 10.30 for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you would like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. Hope to see you soon. As previously mentioned, this is going to be the last of our series. And I think this is a very important one. As we've seen god is amazing amen god is awesome i think that's probably the best way to describe him i had a friend back uh i think it was no yeah it was here in tucson uh anytime i said the word awesome oh that's awesome oh that song's awesome he would always correct me and say no only god is awesome because there was an understanding there of the greatness and the goodness of god that truly is awesome, which means awe-inspiring. We have, all we could do is go, wow, right? Uh, and so today I want to talk about our God. Our God who's all powerful. Our God who's all-knowing. Our, our God who is all-present. These are attributes of the Lord. Each one of those are dependent on one another, though. And this is what makes God all-powerful. That's uh, what makes Him uh, uh, amazing. <clears throat> now, um, I was a uh, Doing something that I like to do for fun, I don't know about you guys, you might like to do fun things like play games or watch movies or things like that, but uh, what I like to do for fun is watch um, debates and uh, listen to lectures. I just find that fun, right? I like that. And so I was listening to one that really caught my eye and it was only two hours long And uh, they were discussing a a topic that was very intriguing to me. And uh, this was a lecture from where Dr. William Craig, if you've heard of him, if not, he's a Christian philosopher, he's an author and an apologist. He's having a discussion with another uh, philosopher, but this one's a naturalist philosopher. Her name is Dr. Rebecca Goldstein. And they were also with the company of Dr. Jordan Peterson, who is a clinical psychologist, where they were discussing whether or not there is meaning to life and do we matter? And I think that's a big question. And I think that's a question that everybody needs answered uh, because when we do not understand these big, or, or the answers to these, these big, big questions, we do have the tendencies to wonder, what am I all about? Do I matter? Does anybody even notice me? The consequence of not knowing that you matter or that there is purpose to life could be pretty grave. Now the question is, is life just a cosmic accident or is there intention in it all now, Dr. Craig argued that aside from God, there isn't meaning. If we look at the atheistic point of view, a uh, worldview, then everything is just an accident. Everything is, just is, and there's no intention, there's no purpose. But with God and through God, there is great purpose, there is great intention for our lives. There's also an astrophysicist by the name of Machio Kaku, who explains that, by the way, this is not a Christian astrophysicist, this is just in my opinion, a very smart guy. He explains that our universe is so special. He says, it has stable protons, out of which you can create atoms, out of which you can create DNA, out of which you get people. How many universes have that property, he asks. He says, mathematically speaking, with whatever we've done, with whatever research we're able to do, with whatever reaches we're able to have, mathematically speaking, This is impossible for everything that we have seen. It is only possible for our universe, our galaxy, our planet. That's it. Life is not possible anywhere else. He says our universe is not random. It's special. It's special in the sense that it didn't have to have life. You think about that. It didn't have to have life, but it does. And life in a spectacular array array of diversity, so our universe really is special." End quote. Now there's a fine-tuning of our galaxy, I think that we were able to see that. The solar system and everything that's living, it screams design, it screams design to me. Everything is just so perfect. We are told by scientists that if we were only but an inch away from the sun, we would freeze over. If we were only but an inch away closer to the sun, we would burn. Like. How perfect is it that we are placed where we are? How perfect is it that we have the right amount of heat? How perfect is it that our bodies are formed in a way that they function well? The way that is really incredible, the more you look into how the human body functions, the more awesome God becomes, because we know that this is his handiwork. We know that this is God's perfect design. So there is a designer. We must have a designer. That is absolutely the Christian belief. God created everything. We are not random. We do matter. There's meaning, there's intention to everything that we are. Our designer was very specific in detail and in purpose for everything that is. That designer has revealed himself to us through the scriptures. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. This is not a random God. This is not a distant God that we serve. This is a good God. He is a personal God, a God who is intentional, a God who is sovereign, a God who is detailed in everything that he does. This is a God that we're able to know. Now, that's awesome because even in his grandeur, even in the greatness that God is, he has allowed us for us to be able to know him. And so the question is, do you know him? Do you know our Creator? Do you know God? Is this God, Someone you should know? Absolutely. Get to know God. Ask questions about who he is. My personal experience, the more I ask about who God is, the more answers I find, the more mind-blowing he becomes, and the more transformed we are at the result of that. Now, when we look at things with a perspective, with meaning and matter and purpose, things just become more and more beautiful. Now, how well do you know him? That's the question. How close are you to him? How intentional are you with him? Do you protect yourself for him? Let me read something to you from Paul. Paul writes to the Galatians, he says in Galatians chapter 4, 8 through 9. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? It's as if Paul corrects himself in mid-sentences, and he says, you know, like he's he's saying this thought, and then he stops, he corrects himself in in mid-thought, and he says, but now that you Galatians here have come to know God, no wait, the deeper truth is that God has come to know you. And Let that sink a little bit. Chew on that. Think about that. It is not so much that we have come to know God, but that God actually has come to know us. And in return, we're able to know him. And so we should ask ourselves instead of how well do we know God? The question is, how well does God know me? How well does God know us? How close is God to you? How careful? how care how carefully has god created us to be and how does god protect us the question are really to be ought to be focused on god on our creator these qualities help us when we struggle and if we struggle with identity with loneliness with relationships with worry with fear and i think that we all struggle in that way that's part of being human we are all at a crossroads here and there where we wonder god what is going on I thought this was going well I thought that there was definitely purpose here and now I'm scratching my head and wondering that doesn't mean that purpose ends that doesn't mean that God is not present it just means that it's time to go to God and be mind-blown with his awesomeness now this is the opportunity that the Lord allows us to know him he who knows us and so I think that we should examine our relationship with God and who He is. And I think that a good way to do that is through the Psalm of David, Psalm 139. So if you have your Bibles, open to Psalm 139. If not, follow along with me on the screens or listen intently. It says this, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is in my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or well shall I free from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shoal, you are there. And if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. Oh that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood! Depart from me, they speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. But as we dive into this portion of Scripture, Father, we ask that you would help us understand it. We ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive it, Lord Jesus, that we may truly know you, Father, for you fully know us. And so, Lord, we ask, Father, that this would really change our hearts, that we'd be reminded of the goodness of the purpose, Lord Jesus, and the perfection in which you've made all things. And so we pray this in your name. Amen. Now, this psalm is clearly a very personal psalm to the psalmist, you can tell that David has spent a lot of time with the Lord. And as we read it, it also, I think, is a psalm that becomes personal to us as well. As we read it, it's easy to adopt those words as our own, at least it is for me. If not, read it over and over again, you'll be realizing, ha, I love the way that David expressed that. David clearly, clearly had an intimate personal relationship with the Lord. He knew him. It's as if he's experienced a thing or two alongside with the Lord, right? And if we consider David's life, David's life was quite messy. David's life was questionable at times, you know? And even so, he is called and defined as a man after God's heart. Why? Because David knew where to go when life got hard. David knew when to go when things got confusing. David knew when to go when there was nowhere else to go. In fact, what makes David so special is that he ran to God. He didn't use God as a last resort. He had an intimate relationship with him. And so everything that we read from David, David was what I call emo. He wore his emotions on his sleeves, right? You knew what he was thinking. You knew what he was feeling. You knew what David was going through because he would express it. And he had a skill for it. He would do it in a way that was just so beautiful. And if we read and when we read the Psalms of David, we see this radical transformation, this turnaround, where he would come with doubts, with concerns, with fear, with 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 issues, right? And as he's expressing himself to the Lord, he comes out rejoicing. And he comes out worshiping the Lord, which is a very important key for every believer. We ought to know and learn how to do this because God truly is all around us. He is personal to us. <clears throat> he is close to us. Knowing God is an essential Christian experience. Now Jesus said in John 14:9, whoever has seen me has seen the father to be christian you have to know christ and if we know christ we know the father and so it is essential for us to know god our life mission should be to get to know god more and more and more and more and what greater tool and resource than this the bible itself we have the ability to learn more about him and i can promise you this you can read this from cover to cover Time after time after time, and you will never exhaust the wisdom, the beauty, the revelation that comes out of here in regards to who our great and mighty God is. Now, again, to know Jesus is to know God. Now, in fact, the Bible tells us that the purpose of life, of our life, as we read in 1 John five twenty, is that we may know him who is true. Now, I, I like the, the, the first catechism of the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To know him and to enjoy him forever. That is the chief end. That is the purpose that we have as people, as Christians, as created beings. And as we walk through this instrumental psalm here, I want to examine our relationship with our amazing God, with our awesome God. And let us consider the following. Realities, you have heard some of these words before, but we're going to see how true they apply to our God. God is omniscient. That means he is all-knowing. He knows everything. We'll also see here that God is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful. God is also omnipresent, which means he is everywhere present all the time and so let's look at that first one god is omniscient meaning all knowing verses one through four and it reads this psalm 139 oh lord you have searched me and you know me you know when i sit down and when i rise up you discern my thoughts from afar god knows everything he knows as i sit down and when i rise up god knows every move that we make you cannot trick him You cannot fool him. You cannot even pretend that he doesn't know what's going on in your life. God knows everything that is about us. In Genesis chapter 16, the Lord appears to Hagar, who was fleeing from Sarai and Abraham. Hagar was Sarai's servant at the time. Sarah couldn't have children. She was barren, and so she had this fabulous idea, not really, that Abraham should take her servant and bear a child, that she would be the mother of the child. And so it happens, and Sarah, and Hagar is despised because she indeed bears a child. And so there's a, a, a severance of relationship there, and Sarah kicks Hagar out. And Hagar is lost. She's confused. She runs, and she doesn't know what to do. She's brokenhearted. If you can just put yourself in Hagar's shoes... You feel uncared for. You feel like you've been entirely abandoned. You feel like you've even been tricked into the situation that you're in. And now you're alone. You're out in the wilderness, let's say, you know, but then the Lord appears to Hagar and the Lord knows everything about her. He knows exactly what she has endured. She knows exactly what she has presently experiencing, enduring, and he knows what will happen thereafter. The Lord reveals everything to Hagar. He makes himself known. He tells her how much he knows her. And in return, Hagar is able to see that this is God. And so we read of Gen- in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13, Hagar says, so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. She said, you are a God of seeing for she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Now what the Lord said to Hagar was so perfect for the moment. He encouraged her. She was totally satisfied by his presence. She knew that she wasn't alone. She felt seen. She felt like someone knew her. Haven't you ever had that experience when you meet someone or you have a conversation with someone and you're like, yes, you get me. You understand me. How how awesome is it? It helps so much. It's just so comforting when we find that someone understands what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what, what's going on in our lives. There's something comforting about that, especially if that someone cares for you and loves you. And this is our awesome God. Now, Jesus being God, similar, does something similar with a woman in Samaria who was at the well in a time that she probably shouldn't be at. It was just weird for this woman to be at the well at midday. But there was something there, right? And Jesus appears to her. And we read this in John chapter 4, where he confronts this woman. And he reveals to her all that, he, all that is about her. And this woman is just blown away. And she's, she's just like, who is this guy? And what's interesting here is that the Lord Let her know first, I know you. I know who you are. You know, and because she saw that, she was able to then see and begin to know who he was. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing. It's not that we come and we come to know Jesus or, or the Lord first. It's that he has known us first and he reveals himself to us and we can know him. And so Jesus first is, begins talking to her and he tells her everything about her. All of the things that no one else should know, right? And, and then she, she recognizes him. Wait a minute, you're a Jew? Wait a minute. You're greater than our forefather Jacob, aren't you? And so there's this this escalation of just identity within Christ. And then she says, then she knew him to be a prophet. She says, wait, you're a Jew? You're greater than Jacob? You're a prophet? You're the Messiah. And so slowly but surely the Lord reveals to her. And then she's able to see the one whom they have waited for their whole lives. And she is just so satisfied, regardless of what her life looked like. She saw the Lord and she knew that the Lord knew her and even so he loved her. He was kind to her. This was a woman who was outcast, ostracized. She was not cared for. Everything about her made her invaluable according to society. But the Lord knew her. He knew everything about her and he loved her. And so what was her reaction? Everybody. This man, you have to listen to him. He has told me everything about my life. Listen to him, he is the Messiah. She knew him because he first knew her. Just thinking about that really just rocks my world. Because I'll tell you this, I can't believe that even my wife loves me based on what I've done in my life. You know what I mean? Much more the Lord who actually knows every detail of life. He is all knowing, he is omniscient and still he loves me. And so for me, it means everything. Okay, let's move on to the second verse. Psalm 139. It says, you discern my thoughts from afar. So not only does God know every move that we make, he also knows every thought that we have. Jesus, who is the God incarnate, displays his omniscience. And Matthew 9 is a good example of that. He forgives the sins of the paralytic, knowing his genuine heart and thought. His friends lower him down the roof where Jesus is teaching. He sees the man. It's like he pierces him, right? Just just with knowing who he is. And then it says this in chapter 4 of, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 4 of chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, verse 4. Just clearing that up. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, talking about the scribes and the Pharisees who are looking at this moment where Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven that's the reaction that jesus has with this man who's paralytic but then jesus knowing their thoughts those who are observing he says why do you think evil in your hearts jesus knows even our thoughts the lord is aware of everything that goes on here and here now the fact that the lord knows our thoughts is actually not an invasive thing for these guys i imagine that that was like whoa back off me bro right because i can tell you one thing for me knowing that the lord was Omniscient was an invasive attribute of God. I felt like, throw some privacy, please. You know, why? Because we were living against him. But when we're living for him, or when we understand his goodness, his holiness, then it's like, let's embrace that. And so for the paralytic man, this was something comforting that the Lord knew him. For the Pharisee or for the scribe who was opposing Christ, this was something a little bit more invasive, like, where are you coming at, bro? You know, that kind of standoffish thing. But the fact of the matter is that the Lord knows our thoughts. Not an invasive attribute, but a holy attribute. And when we are his people, when we are children of the Lord, it is actually helpful and comforting, not invasive. Verse 3. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. God knows every moment that we live nothing escapes his notice our entire lives are in his hand which also means that every direction or path that we take in its own is god ordained every consequence is god made you know he has set everything up for us everything is according to his will he is well aware of everything that's going on in our lives verse 4 psalm 139 even before a word is in my tongue behold Oh Lord, you know it all together. See, God knows every word that we speak, even the ones we speak accidentally. Even, you know, God hears you all. Mm-hmm. And He hears everything that we say in public and in private. And He takes note of that. Look at Matthew chapter 12, 36 through 37. He says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you would be condemned. Isn't that something? And so by our words, we can be justified by our words, confessing that Jesus Christ is our Lord. By our words, repenting of our sin, coming clean, recognizing the the gravity of the problem, the very thing that put him on the cross. Or by our words, we'll be condemned. God is omniscient. He knows everything. God is also omnipotent. Look at verses 5 through 6. Start with 5. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. God is all powerful. We are because of God's power. Take a deep breath. That's his omnipotence right there. That's not you. You don't even think of taking a breath. You know, this is the power of God, that we have life in us. Last I checked, no one can explain the origins of life. Every scientist that I have researched has really tried hard. Some of them say we're almost there, we're almost there. But they've been saying that for over 50 years now. And the reality is they're not even close to almost there. No one knows how life comes. They know how it's transferred. That's easily explained, but where does it come from? This is the power of God. When he created man, he breathed, he breathed his power into him and gave him life. Life is what we have. Life is actually a power of God. He is omnipotent and the fact that everyone around us, you know, has this individual life, right? It's amazing. And even the most intricate of things, animals, creatures, insects, germs, This is the omnipotence of God. He is everywhere and he sustains everything. It is God's power that sustains us. He defends us. I love Daniel chapter 6. We read of Daniel. Awesome story, right? We all know it. Daniel is condemned for doing what he was supposed to do according to the law of the Lord, but not according to the law of the land. And so he's condemned to be put in the den of lions. And so the intention behind this is that Daniel would suffer at the hand or the teeth of the lions, but because Daniel was a righteous man, he was unharmed. It was God's power over even the most powerful beings here on earth that sustained him, that defended him in Daniel chapter six. Verse 21 through 22, we have this little surprise from King Darius who actually condemned Daniel to this lion's den, who loved him. And he did it regretfully so. And so it says this in 21 through 22, Then Daniel said to the king, after the king came to check on him, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth. And they have not, they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Now, the scriptures say that the king was exceedingly glad to see that uh, that Daniel was alive. And as a result, he wrote this to all of the nations that he was in charge of. And Daniel, we read this, Daniel chapter 6, verse 26 to 27. He says, King Darius, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. God is more powerful than the lions. And check this out. He's even more powerful than the most powerful people on earth. Darius was the most powerful person of the time. And now we see that God and his omnipotence changes this heart. And as a result, this king is now glorifying the most powerful God. Who does that? Many kings desire to be able to do that for, with others, right? But only God and his omnipotence is able to change hearts to actually overpower the things that we consider to be the most powerful. Verse 6 of 139. Here in the book of Psalms, David says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. God's power should encourage us. His power is awesome. Let's know that. Let's find that. Our own human capacities cannot exhaust the understanding of God's omnipotence. He is exceedingly more powerful than that which we consider to be powerful. Even sometimes we think ourselves as powerful. Oh, we are his creation. He is absolutely the omnipotent one, not us. God is also omnipresent, which means everywhere present. We cannot ever be where God isn't. If you thought otherwise, I'm sorry to break it to you. God is uh, omnipresent. Verse 7 says, where shall I flee from your spirit? Or where where should I, excuse me, go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? Nothing can escape us from God. Look at Proverbs fifteen three. It says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Now, look at what Jeremiah says. This is him speaking on behalf of the Lord. The prophet of the Lord says in Jeremiah 23, 24, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Did I not fill the heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Here's the point. There's nothing that can hide us from the Lord. Even death cannot hide his children from the Lord in fact death draws us closer to his presence verse 8 David says if I ascend to the heavens you are there if I make my bed and show you are there so if death doesn't remove us from God distance certainly doesn't either have you ever tried to run away from God have you ever maybe said I'm getting out of here you know, well, verse nine, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your light, or your right hand shall hold me. Now, these are a pair of opposites that David is uh, uh, using to explain the the omnipresence of the Lord. This is the greatest of distance. He says the wings of the morning. That's the east. That's where the sunrise. That's as far as you can get over there that way. Wait, where's east? north east west right that way and then he says uh uh uttermost parts of the sea that way now in israel the mediterranean just past that was the furthest you can go that was the unknown world after that they kind of thought that that was the end of the world so it was if you're all if you go all the way over there you're there The Lord is there. If you try to go all the way over there, the Lord is there. God is everywhere and everywhere in between. His omnipresence is simply just means that he's everywhere, present. We cannot escape him. Well, if neither death nor distance can separate us from God, what about darkness? What if we turn the lights off and then hide? We could do that then, right? Verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day for darkness is as light with you. God sees no difference between darkness and light. You know, in fact, I'm reminded of the creation story. Did you know that in the beginning there was light even before he made the sun to govern the day? Because there is no difference between darkness and light to to God. He's just in the light. He is light. There is no darkness to him. He can see through the darkness as if it were light. You cannot hide from him. You cannot be where he is not. You simply cannot speak of God as being absent. And that's a key thing for us to understand. Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him uh, whom we must give account. So clearly the God of the universe is the Creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in between. He is omniscient, He is omnipotent, He is omnipresent, and this power of His, this He's still very intentional with us. God being amazing like that, He is still intentional. And that's the next section I want to show you. God is intentional. At God's people, as God's people, we have purpose, we have meaning, we are known by Him. And so not only now in our present, but He knows what's happened in our past. And He knows everything about our future. Now, again, if you're not walking with the Lord, that sounds like a very invasive thing. But if you're walking with the Lord, that's a very comforting thing. It says this in regards to God's intentionality, verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully meaning I am made with reverence. I am made carefully. I am made with awe. There's something awesome about you too because God, who is awesome, made you right? And wonderfully made, meaning that you're different and you're uh, strikingly remarkable. And so sometimes we say, I hate that I'm short. I hate that I'm too tall. I hate that I'm just so good looking. Sometimes that's just so hard, right? Sometimes we complain about how we are, but the fact of the matter is that God made us and he made us perfect. He made you intentionally. Everything about you is perfect because a perfect God made you. And so there shouldn't be any concern or wonder, man, I think I'm in the wrong body. No, you're not. You are not. If you think there's any kind of confusion, let me please direct you to our God who is perfect and who satisfied every need. You are perfect. You are intricately made in his wonder and awesomeness. There is no mistake in you. Now, is there hardship in life? Absolutely, but there is no mistake. Know that for sure. Do not be deceived by the wisdom of the world, but cling to the, the wisdom of God, who in it is life and life everlasting. God has made you carefully. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from me when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You are God's careful and intentional creation. God knew you before you were new, you were you, <laughs> and God knows you now, and he knows the future as well. 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when I, uh, as yet then, was none of them. When, as yet, there were none of them. So after all we've already seen about who God is, the psalmist provides a great response to the grandeur of God. And he says in verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. In other words, he's saying it's hopeless to try to count God's thoughts, to try to figure them all out. The number is so large that one would simply just fall asleep trying to do so. And then when you wake up, God's still there. He's still faithful, right? He's still present and there's still more to know of him. And so he's inexhaustible. And then the next section here, I'm going to be honest with you. I worked on this, learning about really what's God saying here. And then I feel like I got thrown for a loop when I came to this verse. It's like everything is beautifully laid out about God. And then David just kind of flips a lid or something. You know, it's like, wow, we're talking about God and his majesty. And then he says, I hate them. I hate them all. Like, where does that come from and why? And so let's look at that. And I'm gonna call this section, The Petition. Okay, verse 19 through 24, and it says this. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Whoa, David, where'd you come from? Like, what happened there? And, you know, even though sometimes it kind of comes as a, as a, as a, as a, as a surprise, there's actually sense in this. There, it makes sense. Here's the fact. Sadly, not everyone delights in God. Sadly, not everyone appreciates his omniscience, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence. Again, I used to be that guy. When you walk against the Lord, you find that invasive you find that to be a problem. You don't like that the Lord is looking over your shoulder over the time. See, the only time that's a problem is when you're hiding something. When you're hiding something, it's a problem. When you're hiding your phone, what happens if anybody takes your phone? You freak out, don't you? But if you have nothing to hide, you can leave it wherever and it doesn't matter because everything's in the open. God knows everything. You can't even hide anything from God. It's all in the open to him. There's nothing you could do but come to him and ask him, Lord, help me. And so what happens is the more we learn of God, the more we learn of his goodness, his glory, his greatness, his power, the the way that he is awesome, the more we start to love him, the more we start to humble ourselves before him, and the more we start loving the things that he loves, and the more we start hating the things that he hates. And so David, what he's simply saying is, God, I I hate those who oppose you because you're awesome. They don't see you for who you are. They just don't realize your goodness they just don't realize how wonderful you are and the fact that you mind me the fact that you have intention for me god i hate that about those people you know it's what he's saying and so it it kind of is like a reaction to, to to his brains just kind of being blown out about god it's like god you're awesome like how can people hate you how can people despise you and you take that personal that's what the christian does right? He sides with with God over anything. But then, look at this, And and I find this beautiful and important because it kind of sounded like he lashed out there for a second. He comes back in verse 23 of this 139th Psalm, and he says this to the Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me not in the way Or or, And lead me, sorry, in the way everlasting. Now the petition here is that God would search and know the depths of his heart, that he would expose anything in him that would grieve the Lord, and that he would lead the faithful to walk in the way that the Lord loves. And so David recognizes, hey, I know that my passion, my zeal can sometimes fall outside of line with the Lord. So check me, God. And what I find fascinating is that David opens and closes the psalm with similar words. He opens the psalm by saying, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And then he closes by saying, search me, O God, and know my heart you know thank you for this relationship thank you that you are omniscient because even when i don't respond in the right way you know my heart and you change it you transform it you have the power to do that and you have the the power to position me in place where i could glorify you and so for me this is just a very essential psalm for us to understand that god is everything and more than we can even imagine he is awesome that's simply said and so what do we have to make of this here's the fact of the matter if you feel alone, if you feel forgotten, if you feel unforgiven, if you feel neglected, if you feel marginalized, if you feel ostracized, which I think we've all have felt that at some point of our lives, if we're not going through it now, remember who you are and remember who made you. You know, this is important, it's like the, 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 the Lion King. Remember who you are meaning you are the son of the king, the one who had the most authority, right? That's who you are and you're forgetting it. You're acting as if though you're some kind of meerkat in the jungle, you know? Remember who you are. You are a creation. You are perfectly, you are wonderfully made. You are made with intention. You are made with purpose. You are made by a God who is perfect. And so the way that he has made you is perfect. You are seen because the Lord is omniscient and you are fully known. God knows everything about you, even the count of hairs on your head. That's amazing. That's awesome. He knows every nook and cranny of your heart. He knows every fear and every failure of your life. He understands you. He does not merely know you or merely know about you. He knows you. He actually knows you. He made you. He understands you. He knows you. Man, I wish there was a deeper word for know, to really know, right? And even so, he loves you. Like, think about that. Don't tell me everything about your life, especially the things you want to keep in the dark. God knows that. He still loves you. Like, what? I've said this over and over. Almost every sermon of mine has these words. That while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. And there is no greater love than that than he who gave his life for his friends. The reason why that's mind blowing, why that matters is because we're undeserving of that. If we really evaluate our lives, if we really evaluate the way that we behave towards one another, the way that we rebel against our God, why would you love me? If you know, if you truly know who I am, why would you love me? And perhaps we're not even seeing the reality of who we are in the flesh because we're stained by sin. But praise be to God and praise be to Jesus Christ that has loved us and has given himself for us, that we would be reconciled, that we would be restored, and that we would be given new life, new life through him. And so we are new creations, new creatures. We are born again. We are perfect, right? And hear me, that doesn't mean that we do things perfect. That means that we are now able to come into the presence of the Lord, because only perfection can enter the presence of the Lord. But here's the thing. It is not your perfection that qualifies you. It is Christ's. And so when we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, he covers us. He's the one who makes us righteous. It is his righteousness that is counted onto us. And so when we come in, he sees Christ who is perfect. And so that perfection only comes through Christ. And so I wonder, do you know him? He knows you. Have you come to know him? Do you know him? I encourage you, get to know our God. Get to know him. He is awesome. And I leave you with this because he is awesome, but he's also very intentional and very purposeful with who you are. And he loves you. Like he loves you unconditionally. John fifteen nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And here's the call. Abide in my love, says the Lord. Connect to him. Seek him. Know him. Because he's everywhere. He's all-powerful. And he knows everything. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Father, for your word today. Thank you for these words, that are, these words that are just so comforting. Father, and just knowing that you are present with us and that you know us and that you have the power, Lord Jesus, to deal with every circumstance that we're in. Lord, Father... We ask that you would forgive us for acting like your enemy and not your friend. For not hating the things that grieve you, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would give us a change of heart. That you would help us grow more and more according to your word and your will. That we would really truly reflect you as true Christians, as those who exemplify who you are, Father. I ask that you would forgive us for not doing well in that for putting ourselves above all things instead of putting you above all things. And so, Father, thank you for knowing us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your sanctification. Thank you for your love that is just so unmerited, so undeserved. But you, through the cross, through your death, burial, and resurrection, we are given new life. And Lord, we want to live it to the fullest, live it for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen and amen.